President Kennedy is remembered for establishing the Peace Corps. This week marks 60 years of the Peace Corps. Young Americans went overseas as medical assistants, teachers, agriculturalists. You will be the personification of a special group of young Americans. Today, a Kansas City woman who helped create the agency. Not many of my friends went off and did what I did. And in a time when few women were in the workplace, Mary Abbott's career took her from the CIA to the New York Times and eventually to the Kennedy administration. Because it was so fresh and new. You're used to seeing us on the evening news. This conversation is different. I'm Haley Harrison. This is KNBC 9 Storytellers. Mary Abbott is 90 years old. She lives at Bishop Spencer Place, where she and I connected via Zoom. Abbott didn't move back to Kansas City until later in her life. She and her late husband lived in California, where they worked on environmental issues. But she grew up in Kansas City and tells me she graduated Pembroke Hill. When you're coming out of out of school, uh, what year what year is that? Um, 1948. Out of high school? Out of high school. So I imagine in 1948, when you're coming out of high school, many of your your peers, especially the young women, are maybe going to college. Maybe some of them are getting married. Yeah. Many of them married after college and lived here all their lives. There's a group of us here in Bishop Spencer that get together um, for a glass of wine and uh, at night in the evening and most of them went to high school here. Abbott's life took a different path. It was a combination of hard work, opportunity, and her family's political connections. I had a rather prominent grandfather. Who is your grandfather? His name was Frank P. Walsh. According to the Kansas City Public Library, Frank P. Walsh was a rags-to-riches figure, a passionate orator, a champion of progressive causes like workers' rights, a frequent foe of Senator James A. Reed, and a controversial figure. Records say that he defended radicals, communists, and anarchists. In 1889, he famously defended the son of Jesse James, who was facing train robbery charges James was acquitted. President Woodrow Wilson then appointed Walsh as chairman of the United States Commission on Industrial Relations for the purpose of investigating the cause and issue of labor unrest. Walsh died in 1939. If you want to learn more about him, just visit the link in the show notes. His family's political connections would soon play into Mary Abbott's story. Fast forward to the 1950s, Mary Walsh, as she was known back then, had graduated college and was looking for a job. After college, I went to, um, I went on a trip with some friends to Europe, and we went to see a friend of ours uh, who was married and running a nursery school in in Munich, in the army concern there. Her husband was working there. He said Department of the Army. Well, of course, it turned out to be the CIA. And uh, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. I knew I had to get a job and stuff. So he said, well, how would you, I had just taken a typing course here before I had gone. Anyway, during the summers, mother made me go take typing and all so he said, if you can type, you can come and work for me here on the concern. 
so then I did that for a year, year and a half, maybe. Then he was assigned to go back to the States. So then I left there. I came back. I was in Washington a little bit, but it it was sort of boring. It was very bureaucratic, you know, the CIA. So so you had a job working for the CIA, but but it was too boring. <laughs> well, when I came back to Washington, it was very, it was just sort of all bureaucratic and administration. So it turns out the CIA was maybe a dull job for a woman in the 1950s. It was time for a new career. What was your early interest in journalism? I don't know. I think my father had wanted to be a journalist. He was a lawyer. And... Uh, I don't think he ever really liked the law that much. And he used to talk about, there in the family dinners, about people who were his friends who were journalists. I don't know. It just, uh, I just lucked in. She tells me next, an old friend soon connected her to a job at the New York Times. The assignment? Women's News. What kinds of stories would you have seen in the women's news in the 1950s in the New York Times? What kind? What would have qualified as a story? Well, anything to do with fashion or cooking or furniture. But nothing much about a women's professional life, excepting, of course, the main designers in fashion. Fashion was the principal thing on the paper then. And uh, as a woman that was as educated and as traveled as you were, at, at, especially even at that point in your life, were those kinds of stories appealing to you? Did you like the no. work you were doing? No, I really didn't very much. And, uh, but, you know, I was at a stage where I had to support myself and provide. By her late 20s, Abbott had a career that had sent her all over the world. You have... Um, an incredible globe-trotting career. Right. Yeah, <laughs> early, very early on. That that's that's really something. Yeah, I did. Uh, I I just seemed I got lucky a lot of times. It seems like you knew a lot of people too, and of course, networking always helps. <laughs> it sure does. After the Times, Abbott's family's political connections helped her get a job on JFK's campaign for president. When I was home at Christmas, I went with my father to a political dinner, and we sat at Stuart Symington's table. Stuart Symington was a Democrat and then senator from Missouri and the first secretary of the Air Force. He was asking me what I was doing and so when he left, he said, you know, if you decide you want to have some work in politics, you can get in touch with me. And so I did, and he offered me a job on his campaign because he was one, one of the four running. And so then I went to L.A. for the convention, and we're, we were in three rooms, Kennedy, Johnson, Symington, on the same floor the staff was. So we got to know, all got to know each other, and then uh, I had a friend I wanted to visit in San Francisco, and uh, a guy that I knew on on Kennedy's staff told me to look up his friend, a friend of his in San Francisco. I did, so then I got the job on the campaign there. 
And then that brought me, then I went back to Washington and I had interviews and looked around and then somebody told me they were beginning to form the Peace Corps. So then I got hired for that. When JFK was elected, Abbott got a job in the press office of the brand new Peace Corps. This week as we are celebrating 60 years of the Peace Corps, which is a wonderful milestone. What in your mind is the legacy of the Peace Corps in America and even beyond our borders? It was, it was established, Shriver used to say this all the time. She's talking about Sergeant Shriver, director and founder of the Peace Corps, who was married to Eunice Kennedy, JFK's sister. For compassion and service, the whole idea behind it, which Kennedy and Shriver, was that Americans wouldn't go overseas anymore with troops and telling the country what to do and what not to do. This was where the students or the volunteers that we had were to go into an ongoing project with which they had knowledge to be helpful, say in that village in a water line, something like that. Then if a volunteer was an engineer or, or had just become, or just graduated in engineering or something, that would be the perfect person to fit into a village. But the idea was you were to go with your project and set up what you wanted to do and not live in the village or live somewhere else and then come there once in a while to be helpful. You had to really participate in the life of the people there. And you had to have some knowledge of the language. In that. What do you think the Americans who served around the world have gotten out of that experience? Well, because nobody has to volunteer in the country, you know. I mean, you can go get your, put yourself in the army or for service to your country, but there are not many programs like the Peace Corps. It was the only one then when it was set up. When you got involved, it was in the very early days, was, the very well, beginning. It was, it was the very beginning. The very beginning. So. Um, I, I want to ask you about Kennedy's inaugural. Uh, in his inaugural address in 61, he says, as we famously know now, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Well, I don't think... It Americans, was a call to public service. I don't think Americans follow that much. I think it would be good if we had, if all the young people had to volunteer for the country in some way for a year or two after college. So you don't think that Kennedy's message has stuck through the years? Well, I don't think it's with all this white nationalism and all this business that's going on now. I don't think so. Today, 240,000 Americans have volunteered abroad with the Peace Corps. 1,800 of them are from Kansas. 3,600 have been from Missouri. Why did Kennedy and Shriver want people to commit to public service? Well, I, because they thought it would make us a better country, for one thing, I think, from what the young people learned from being abroad. And of course, this is only 15 years after World War II, just mm -hmm. after the Korean War. I mean, America had spent a lot of time in other countries at war. And this was sort of an idea of let's be in other countries, but in a 
time of peace, right? In a peace, peaceful way. What about, you know, that's when NATO was formed and all the cooperation with European countries that we had. But this was, I think it was also to expose the people to a, the world outside of what they were living. So tell me uh, about your job forming the Peace Corps. What were your duties and well, what did you do we, once you got to Washington? Well, when I went over, I was hired. They sent me into the division where they were reading and deciding on the volunteers. So I worked in that area. Mostly I sent telegrams. I chased down people they wanted we hadn't heard from. On November 22, 1963, President and Mrs. Kennedy arrived in Dallas, Texas for what was to be a forerunner of his re-election campaign the following year. For several years, Mary worked at the agency in its infancy. In but state. all of that changed there one day. Threats of violence, but he had discounted them. Will you tell me a little bit about November 22nd, 1963, the day that Kennedy was assassinated? What do you remember? I remember that I was, for some reason, I think, I had a sister living in Beirut or something. I think I was answering a letter to her. And uh, I was alone anyway. Then, you know, in those days, they had those wireless things that made all the noise, Associated Press. And so we had two of those for Associated Press and the other press, there were two. Anyway, they were both banging away. They, they didn't make a lot of noise unless there was something special. So I went up and then I saw that Kennedy had been killed. So I tore it off and I took it down to Schreiber's office, but I just left it with his secretary. He wasn't there, but she knew already that he had been told. So it was really sad. And then when that big long parade they had taking him to the church from the White House for service. So we all stood up on the roof of the building and watched the whole, we could see a lot. Really sad. You must have just personally been crushed a little bit too. Oh, sure. Because you knew it was going to be the sort of end of an era. Um, and sure enough, then the Johnson people came taking over things. Soon Abbott left the administration. She reconnected with a man that she'd met on the campaign. They moved to California and got married. Still, she has so many fond memories of her work in Washington. So Mary, it sounds like when you think about 2021, where we are today as a country, sounds like based off what you said, that you feel America would still be in a better place if, if everybody did more public service. Yeah, I think that's one of the disadvantages or bad parts about America, that we don't have a national core of any kind that would inspire 
less desire to make a lot of money and more to leave young the grandchildren of the young people a place that's decent to live in.